Hi there, it's Natalie from Dear Reader. Justine and I are in the planning stage for our 2017 season of the Dear Reader podcast and we'd really love your input. Head to www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au, click the read link on the left-hand side of the page, then click Dear Reader and voila, you can jump straight into our survey. Easy as pie. Oh wow, we love pie. We also love you and we want to know what you think. We can't wait to read your feedback. We hope you enjoy this new episode. You're listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we're coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Hi, Justine. Hi, Natalie. You're looking super lovely today. Radiant? Would you say sunshiny? I might, in fact, say sunshiny. That's a coincidence. (laughs) Do you want to know why? I would love for you to tell me why. Today we're talking about the kinds of books we love to read when it is sunshiny, Mm. the books we like to read over summer. How coincidental. Something about the holidays, (laughs) about the beach, about the poolside, lazy days and the long kind of warm nights. Hey Justine. Yes Natalie. What kinds of books do you like to delve into over your summertime? I'm a bit funny over summer. I... I don't like to plan my summer reading. I usually always know in the back of my head that I'm probably going to pick up some of my old childhood favourites, do a bit of a reread, uh, you know, my old fantasy favourites, Anne McCaffrey, David Eddings, Raymond E. Feist, um, and then also maybe some Kerry Greenwood. I love me some good, you know, lady detective action with Franny Fisher or Karina Chapman. Both those series are great. Um, but then I'll also usually pick up, you know, if someone recommends me something, that's my time to read is over the summer holidays or if there is some new whiz-bang, new release that you just have to read. Well, I'm going to do it then as well. So I allow myself to be swayed, but also know that I've got my backup comfort reads. And also my my TBR, TBR, to be red pile, is always just ginormous. So I'm trying to get through the back catalogue bits, you know, the the stuff that always sort of stays at the bottom and doesn't quite get to the top. So I try to to aim for those as well. But, you know, who knows? Summer's a long time. (laughs) It's a long time coming too. It sure is. <laughs> well, I've got some plans. I'm sure you do. Tell yeah. us all about your plans, please. I'm going to try and catch up on books that I missed. I'm going to try and catch up on books that aren't library books. Because they tend to fall to the bottom of the pile because there's no due date. That's true. So books that I have received as gifts or books that people have loaned me sort of sit on the pile and they're not due at any particular time, so they just sit on the pile, and they end up at the bottom of the pile. Yeah, that's the bottom of the pile time. So summer is bottom of the pile time for me. <laughs> but that's a good thing. So on the it's top a good pile, it is <laughs> on the top of the bottom of the pile. Exactly, is a little life uh, by oh. Hanya Yanagihara. Why? Because I enjoy big books. Because I know I'm going to be affected by it, and because I have time to tackle something that's 800 pages. Hmm. Not me, no. I don't think I'm ever going to read that book. And that's that's okay. okay. I'll tell you about it. How about I tell you about it? I've heard enough. I've heard enough. It sounds dreadful. (laughs) I know so many people love it, and and I think it's great that you've got that time, but I'd rather read War and Peace. Well, well, that's not a book I have read, so (laughs) maybe next summer I'll tackle that 
1,000-page book. But the other thing I like to do over summer is read books by authors that I've loved this year. So if Mm. I've discovered a new author and read something by them and thought it was a fantastic read, I might delve into their back catalogue. So I've been doing that with Jeanette Winterson this year, kind of. I read my first and now I'm kind of hooked. So going back through her older books. Love that idea. Um, And Elena Ferranti has a new book called uh, Frantamulia, Frantumalia. My Italian's a bit backwards today, uh, but it uh, it translates to fragments and it's a series of um, letters, interviews with different journalists and responses that she's written to readers. So it's all the kind of collected writings that she's done about writing and about reading um, that have kind of been collected and put into this book and it's, um, it's being released shortly. So I'm really looking forward to kind of delving into some more of the world of Elena Ferranti, even though it's not fiction. Just to just some more of her writing, I think, will yeah. kind of get me through the summer. I think it will, Plus, definitely. as you say, everything that's being released and, mm. you know, there's no end to new titles all the time. Thank goodness. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's not forget to remind our listeners that we'd love to hear what you've been reading. So please do tweet us at melblibrary, that's at M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y, with the hashtag Dear Reader. And you can download Dear Reader episodes at SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. And all the books we mention on our show today will be listed in our show notes, uh, which will pop on our Goodreads page. You can find that Goodreads page via our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au on the Read page. All right, Justine, take me to summer, please. What is your first summer read? Well... I do like a good page turner myself. So my first pick for summer reading is a book called Before the Fall by Noah Hawley. So Noah Hawley, apart from being the author of five books, also served as a writer and producer on the TV series Bones, which is one of my favourite shows. And as well as that, he was the executive producer, writer and showrunner for the TV series Fargo. So he's clearly a talented man with a love of intrigue. Uh, So yes, Before the Fall, his fifth book. This was a page-turner of a book for me. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think it would be the perfect summer read. I can definitely see myself reading it on the beach if I hadn't already read it. (laughs) So here's a bit about it. On a foggy summer night, see, summer, there you go, Mm -hmm. um, 11 people, 10 privileged and one down-on-his-luck painter, depart Martha's Vineyard in a private plane headed for New York. Sixteen minutes later, the unthinkable happens. The passengers disappear into the ocean. The only survivors are Scott Burroughs, the painter, and a four-year-old boy who is now the last remaining member of a wealthy and powerful media mogul's family. With chapters interweaving between the aftermath of the tragedy and the backstories of the passengers and crew members, including, among others, a Wall Street titan and his wife, a Texan-born party boy Justin from London, a young woman questioning her path in life, and a career pilot, the mystery surrounding the crash heightens. As the passengers' intrigues unravel, odd coincidences may point to a conspiracy. Was it merely chance that so many influential influential people perished? Or was it something far more sinister at work? Events soon threaten to spiral out of control in an escalating storm of media outrage and accusations, all while the reader draws closer and closer to uncovering the truth. 
Noah Hawley does a great job in keeping us guessing throughout the story. The narrative structure is fantastic with interweaving perspectives from the different players and the reader is constantly teased with various possibilities of how and why the plane crashed. Scott is our main lens through which we view the story and the reader is always brought back to the same questions of just how much can we trust this narrator? Is he actually a bad guy? Or was he an unwitting innocent who's become involved in a conspiracy to kill one or more of the other characters? Who knows? The book is also a fascinating exploration of the vagaries of human nature and the dark side of both art and celebrity. The danger of an unchecked media and just how much the masses buy into what is shown on so-called news channels is another major thread and one which I think is incredibly relevant. I really loved the way the relationship between Scott and the young boy was handled as well. And Scott's own backstory is really honest and it was quite believable to me, but just the right amounts of doubt is planted by the author. All in all, I think it's a great read and as for who did it, if anyone did, you'll have to read the book to find out. (laughs) So that's Before the Fall by Noah Hawley. That sounds amazing. It was actually really good and not at all what I expected, but I I couldn't tell you what I actually expected. So, Mm. yeah. Natalie, your summer reading pick, please. My first uh, pick for today is Tuesday Nights in 1980 by Molly Prentice. It's a 2016 book, a debut uh, novel for this author, and it was unputdownable. Mm. Not in a thriller sense, more in a sense of, I just love these people. Who are these people? Um, the writing really brought them to the characters to life. I couldn't put it down and I didn't want it to end. It was a really beautiful book to spend time with. Um, I've read it likened to Jennifer Egan's A Visit from the Goon Squad and Meg Wallitz's The Interestings. So they're both books that I loved last year and I think I loved Tuesday Nights in 1980 for the sort of similar reasons. The story follows three fairly odd kind of misfit characters who are finding their way in New York City just as 1980 begins. So you've got that culture and the city sort of coming to life. No surprises for guessing that these three characters' worlds collide after a few chance encounters. And while that storyline sounds contrived and done a million times before, uh, sometimes it was as though I was reading it done for the very first time. Prentice brings New York City to life in a similar way to the way that Patti Smith did in M Train. And while this book is fiction and Patti Smith's book was about her own real life, both writers put me square in the middle of one of the world's most mythologised cities and showed me how it grew and changed around them and how important the city was to them. So I was really captivated. Uh, The character development is just spot on. We get to spend so much time with each of them. Not too much time, but enough time with them and enough time with each of them over the course of the book that they grow and sort of so do we really being part of their lives. So here are the three characters. James Bennett is an art critic for the New York Times. His remarkable synesthesia allows him heightened senses of taste and smell that accompany his sight. So he's able to describe paintings in really kind of profound and sort of magical ways. He describes one painting as being so moving that it made him thirsty. Wow. So he kind of has this amazing ability. Um uh, Raul Engales is an exiled Argentinian painter who is on the run from his past and his very dear sister after the dirty war that has en- enveloped his country. 
And Lucy Oliason escapes her small town in Idaho for the big smoke of New York City and adventures. She imagines her stilted life so far will finally blossom into something real and she'll find what it is that she truly wants. So her story is kind of the classic coming out of your shell, moving to a big city to find yourself and your place in the world. Her story is beautiful. So as James, the art critic, and Raoul, the artist, ascend in the art scene, two tragedies strike and each man is faced with a loss that will affect his relationship to his life and also to how he perceives art and how he feels about the art in his life. Side stage door left enters Lucy, of course, to (laughs) mix it all up. Uh, She inadvertently brings these two characters together and then all three of them have to face what it is they've lost and what's left for them in a city that's much larger than any one of them. It truly is so beautiful, so engaging, and really a book that you can kind of lose yourself in, which I love to do when I have the time to read, to really kind of immerse myself in a book like this. It's the kind of thing you want to read from start to finish in one day and be utterly transported to somewhere else. So the title is uh, Tuesday Nights in 1980 by Molly Prentice. She's a genius. Yeah, well, there you see, summer reading book number one, done. Yep. (laughs) For me anyway. That starts your list. (laughs) So going to be a long list. (laughs) What should I read then? What's next on your list of recommendations? (laughs) So when I was thinking about books I like to read over summer, I was thinking also I love my page turners, but I also like – a bit more thoughtful books. I like learning something. I like books about people. And so I actually picked a biography. It's just out this year. Uh, It's called Where Am I Now? True Stories of Girlhood and Accidental Fame by Mara Wilson. Oh, Mara Wilson. I know. Uh, So Mara Wilson is a former actor best known for her starring roles in Matilda and Mrs Doubtfire. And she was so good. Um, and she's since turned her storytelling skills to writing. In Where I, Where Am I Now, she tells her story of feeling young and out of place her whole life. The only kid on a film set full of adults, the first daughter in a house full of boys, a valley girl in New York and a neurotic in California. And a grown-up <laughs> the world still remembers as a little girl. Tackling everything from what she learned about sex on the set of Melrose Place to discovering in adolescence that she was no longer cute enough for Hollywood, these essays chart her journey from accidental fame to relative but happy obscurity. They also illuminate universal struggles like navigating love and loss and figuring out who you are and where you belong. I found this book candid, insightful, moving and hilarious as Mara Wilson chronicled the experience that is growing up female. I'd been looking forward to reading this book a lot, actually, not least because I loved the movies Mara was in, but also because I love reading books about people whose experiences are so far from my own and yet are also reflective of what I myself have gone through growing up as a woman. Mara's voice is fresh and her writing is clean. There is no confusion, no sense of vagueness. She's a woman who knows what she wants to say and she says it. She she shares her thoughts on many topics and also her experience with mental illness, her OCD, anxiety and depression and how hard it was for her after she lost her mother at a very young age. It's actually a really delightful read. I know I don't know her, but everyone who has watched her movies and enjoyed them will always have a soft spot for her. And reading this book just made me happy. Mm. There's a chapter on Matilda where she writes a letter to the character Matilda as though she was a real-life friend. It's beautiful. There's a chapter on Robin Williams that it's not overly sentimental but just warm and talks about this wonderful human that she knew and how she will always remember him. 
She wraps up her stories with tales of her, her adventures in stand-up and how sometimes you just fail and that it's okay to make a mistake and that finding your people and where you belong is worth it and being brave, living your fear, growing up and knowing that even though you've been a part of many people's childhoods, it's okay to be true to yourself and you don't have to keep on trying to be the good girl. You can be whoever you really are. It was a lovely read, sad, funny, interesting and absorbing. In fact, I think I'm going to be reading this one again as I'm sure to see more and get more out of it a second time around. I just loved it. That's Where Am I Now? True Stories of Girlhood and Accidental Fame by Mara Wilson. Sounds like a dream read. It is Absolute a really, dream really read. good. And I've got to say, on the cover, on the front, um, I loved it because you see her as she was in, in Matilda and Mrs. Doubtfire, that young girl. And on the back, you see her as she is... When she's writing this book in her 20s and she's just, I think she's still gorgeous. She's a grown-up. She's but one she of us. Is, yes, yes, she is. And, yeah, just a really lovely book. Mm. Now? That's on my list now. Oh, oh, good. See? Reciprocal TBRs. I love it. And if I can find the audio book where she reads it, even better. Absolutely. Don't you reckon? Oh, I love a memoir read to me. I really I do. Know. And I she, have a soft she, spot for that. That's what she does is stand-up storytelling. So wow. it would just be great as well to, to hear her, I'm sure. All right. What's your next pick for summer reading, Natalie? This is an older book, but one that I read this year after many people recommended it to me, colleagues who I trust dearly with book recommendations, and they weren't wrong. Uh, it's Brooklyn by Colm Toybin. So it was released or published in 2009. Uh, Colm is an Irish writer. This is his sixth novel. It is a lovely book. It is a nice book. It is engaging, it is immersive, and it is perfect for summer. It's set in a small town in Ireland during the difficult economic times that followed World War II in the early 1950s. Uh, our very sweet main character, Eilis Lacey, is struggling to find work to help support her family. When an Irish priest from Brooklyn in the US offers to sponsor Eilis in America so she can go and live and work in a Brooklyn neighbourhood that's just like a little version of Ireland, is how it's described to her and her family, she struggles with whether she should go or not. It's a really tricky decision for her. But go to Brooklyn she does and she leaves her fragile mother and her charismatic sister behind. Eilis soon finds work in a department store and when she least expects it, she meets a local Italian boy, Tony, and pretty much everyone in his big Italian family. Tony falls for Eilis immediately and begins to win her over with his patient charm. He really is a charming character. He's an upstanding young man. But just as Eilis begins to fall in love with Tony, a tragic piece of news arrives from home and Eilis leaves Brooklyn for Ireland so she can be with her family. And pretty much from here on, there are tears, there's uncertainty, and Eilis has to decide what her future is going to look like. It was a beautiful book. It is not a fast-paced page-turner. Eilis is not a decisive, feisty, modern young woman. She is a woman of the time and she is a woman of great contemplation. And it really is a slow and immersive read. And again, it's kind of perfect for a, a long, languid afternoon where you have the opportunity to go to another place, go to another time, um, and work out, you know, maybe what you would have done in those circumstances or, or see how you feel about the choices that the characters have made. That's some of the, you know, when you've got, when you're not reading in sort of 20-minute bursts on public transport to and from work and you're in the kind of humdrum daily routine, summer is a time where you kind of strip all of that away and you can spend time with a book, you know, hours at a time with a book and really get into it. It's my favourite thing to do. <laughs> 
Hey, Justine. Yes, Natalie. Got one more for me? I may just have one more. Woohoo, good. What is it? What is it? So the last book I'm going to talk about today for summer reading is kind of similar to what you were just talking about, Natalie, actually, in that it's an older book and it's a slower book. It was actually first published in 1922 mm-hmm. and it's called The Enchanted April by Elizabeth von Arnim. This is possibly the only book which I saw the movie of first. I was young. I saw the movie of it first and I loved the movie. Went and found the book, read the book, loved the book and shock of all shocks, I actually have also listened to the audiobook and loved it, which is not the norm for me. It's not <laughs> surprising, though. Yeah. Oh, look, there's something so lovely about this story that it didn't matter to me what the narrator sounded like or how it was read. I just I, I just was enjoying hearing it. And luckily, the, the narrator was quite good as well. Um, and the movie's really good. I definitely recommend the movie as well. <laughs> They're all good. So this is a book about, at its essence, friendship and beauty. Four women, all strangers, escape the rainy, dismal 1920s English weather for a month-long retreat in an Italian castle. Once there, the company of the other women, along with the wisteria and sunshine, brings each character to certain realisations about herself. So we have Lottie Wilkins and Rose Arbuthnot, two married women living in London, sharing the misery of empty relationships with their spouses, and they decide to rent an Italian castle for the spring to get away. In order to save money, they advertise for two other women to join them. Mrs Fisher, an elderly widow who knew many famous authors in her youth, is struggling with a lonely and regimented existence and jumps at the chance to join the vacation. Lady Caroline Dester is a gorgeous flapper who has been grabbed one too many times and is sick of men. She only wants to be left alone. They arrive in San Salvatore, a seaside Italian castle drenched in wisteria and sunshine, and find themselves in a romantic landscape that leaves a lot of time to consider their lives in London. After reflecting for a while, Lottie decides to send a letter to her husband, inviting him to join her. The next man to join them is Mr Briggs, the owner of the castle, who's on his way to Rome and just stops in to check on them. He's taken a liking to Rose, believing her to be a war widow. The third guest, male guest, is the uninvited husband of Rose, Frederick, although technically he is invited, but he wasn't aware of that. He has actually come to the castle to see Lady Caroline, whom he'd taken a liking to after having met her at a party in London. Rose is unaware of all of this and believes Frederick came in answer to her letter, and Frederick realises that he really loves his wife after all. It's not a spoiler. You know it's going to happen. This is a book which lifts the spirits. It fills you with the joy of spring and the promise of summer. It's warm. It's comforting, it's charming, and the characters are brilliant. Lottie particularly is amazing. She's all scatterbrained and, and vague in London and then in Italy in the summer and the warmth and the wisteria, and she just grows into this wonderful, wonderful woman. And uh, she has these fabulous phrases. She says things like, time slips sideways here. And I, I just feel that lovely lengthening of summer holidays when that, that phrase come out. And she calls the, the castle, at, the, the area, a tub of love. And it's just, you know, beautiful and, and, and lovely. Um, and all four voices are, are quite distinct, but they all resonated with me in some fashion. The author has very cleverly developed her characters and intertwined their separate narratives into one cohesive whole. I was just enough aware of this to be impressed by it, but nothing ever felt forced. This is a book where nothing seems to happen, and yet everything happens. <laughs> it's perhaps a little old-fashioned, and yet it is so relevant to our conversations now about sisterhood and feminism and class. 
it's also about the discovery and rediscovery of friendship, respect and love, and there's nothing old-fashioned about that. Some of the ways the men are portrayed are not really that great, and it's in this regard that I do appreciate the small changes the movie made when it came out in 1991. This is charming, beautiful, quiet, moving, easy, joyful, I could go on. I think it's the perfect something to read when you don't know what to read over a summer holiday. So that is The Enchanted April by Elizabeth von Arnim. I would use the word delightful to describe your review of that book. Oh, I could go. I love it so much. And, you know, I would watch the movie today if I had it. And I would read the book again. And I did, in fact, read the book again recently. (laughs) And I may also have listened to the audiobook again. I just really love it so much. There's no shame in loving a book. Mm. No shame at all. Not here, anyway. No, not not here. Definitely not. Natalie, what is your last summer read? Well, this is another 2016 book by a New York writer. Um, She's written two or three other novels, I think, and a short story collection. The book is called Modern Lovers by Emma Straub. I really enjoyed this book. It was a quick read for me. It's set over one summer, and I think it would be a perfect kind of poolside, beachside, little kind of getaway, weekend getaway read. Um, I also really like the cover a lot. Now, I'm I'm no slouch when it comes to covers. I do <laughs> like a good cover. Um, but the book, you know, covers of books sometimes help me get into the world of the book before I even start reading it. So the cover of Modern Lovers is a bright graphic illustration of a walk-up building in New York, people sitting on the steps, someone's walking a dog, there's someone riding a bike, there's a cat on the spine of the book Aww. too, which doesn't hurt. <laughs> that always helps. And so they're kind of like painted at little abstract figures. But they just seem to be, it's just a neighbourhood of lots of different people going about their daily business and they're all outside so it's a summertime book Mm. it's an urban tale set in modern day brooklyn and it follows elizabeth andrew and zoe who were very close friends in their college days they were in a band together they were like rock stars um with a fourth person lydia who comes up and uh sort of in and out of the story as it goes so during those good old days in college they had wild times and they all have a few secrets from that time that they're not really sharing until the book starts really uh now modern day each of these three are nearing 50 they all have families they live in exactly the same neighborhood walking distance to each other's homes in brooklyn in new york elizabeth and andrew are married to each other they have a 17 year old son called harry and zoe is married to jane and they have an 18 year old daughter called ruby so the adults spend a lot of the time in this book reminiscing about how much cooler they were when they were young each of them feels to varying degrees like they've blinked and the last 30 years of their lives have just flown by their relationships with each other and to each other have evolved strained and then kind of snapped back like elastic over the years and each of them in their own way is questioning how they are still entwined in each other's lives why they are still entwined in each other's lives and what that means after all this time that's gone by and alongside the adults who are kind of looking backwards at their relationships you've got their two children who are teenagers who are starting to explore what it means to begin a relationship what it means to look forward to what might happen for them in the future and it's this really nice kind of um I guess, juxtaposition of relationships, forwards and backwards. Um, I will admit that some of the characters are among the most annoying I've ever read about. (laughs) But, uh, well, actually, and I wish that they had made really different decisions. If I was in charge, I would have done it differently. But I also secretly love it when a book does that to me. It means that I actually care about the characters because I want them to make different decisions and I want good things to happen to them. But, you know, not everyone learns from their mistakes and sometimes reading about other people experiencing ups and downs and rockies can actually be really eye-opening. There are lots of musical references in this book. 
loved it. And there's a cat called Iggy Pop. That's a great name. I know. <laughs> Loved it. Modern lovers, Emma Straub. It's, oh, it's actually been on my pile for a while as well. I'm definitely looking forward to that one over summer. How good's the cover? Yeah, I know. It's and the cat. I knew as soon as I saw the cat. <laughs> well, that's our show. You can read our show notes, including a list of the books we discussed on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. And we'd love you to tell us what you've been reading or what you're planning to read over summer. Tweet us at Library. that's at M-E-L-B-L-A-B-R-A-R-Y with the hashtag Dear Reader, or join the conversation on Goodreads. Don't forget you can download old or new Dear Reader episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. If you like what you're hearing on Dear Reader, we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. It does help others find out about us and it gives us the warm fuzzies. So please do check us out on iTunes and leave a review. The groovy music on our program is by Ben Mason. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au. And as always, until next time, Dear Reader, thanks for listening. It's Natalie again from Dear Reader. We sure hope you like the episode you just heard. We'd love to hear your feedback. Why not head on over to www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au, click the read link on the left-hand side of the page, and then click on Dear Reader. From there, it'll take you to a survey and you can give us your feedback about this or any other Dear Reader episodes that you've listened to. It will help Justine and I plan the 2017 series of our podcast. We'd very much love to have your input. Thanks so much for listening.